final hour already. The Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Justin Comfort, and Ailish Forfar. Time flies when you're having fun, Justin. It really does. It's already Baby Friday. Just take another hour. We'll just boot JD off. <laughs> and this this block is going to breeze by, too, because we got my buddy, Julian McKenzie, Flames reporter at The Athletic, wrapping up his first year at the helm, Woo! covering the Calgary Flames. Good morning, Julian. What's good, friends? How y'all doing? Uh, we're doing pretty good. Glad to finally have you on. I guess it took some sort of like overlap between the Leafs and the Flames <laughs> in order to do that. Uh, but I'm glad to have you on, man. Um, so you're, you know, you're covering the Flames for the Athletic, but you're covering the league for various outlets. Uh, what is your detached view of what we've seen over the last couple of weeks with Brandon Shanahan and Kyle Dubas and the drama <laughs> that has engulfed the Toronto Maple Leafs? Just so much carnage, man. <laughs> uh, I think of our 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 good friend uh, Tic Tac Tomar, who predicted that mm. the Leafs would go through seemingly the worst off season possible in terms of speculation over players, the core four, in terms of its management, and and defi- to find that Brendan Shanahan was the man behind the curtain, just kind of pulling a certain string here and there, and the entire tent fell down. Like it just, that's what it seems like from a distance, right? Like I still can't get behind the fact that, you know, Kyle Dubas steps up and and he kind of makes it known that maybe he's thinking of not coming back. And then off of that, we're off and running. And now all of a sudden Kyle Dubas may or may not have had a meeting with Sidney Crosby. yesterday. Like it's just, (laughs) it's really wild how everything has just completely unfolded over these last few weeks. And they went around for the first time in like so long. Kind of forget that even happened. eh? (laughs) Yeah, it's like one of those be careful what you wish for situations. Yeah, me and you spoke so many times about if the Maple Leafs finally won around, what, what it would happen? be like, how it would change things, <laughs> what it would mean to the core four. Who cares? And it was just like on the other side, a week later, it was more of a devastating result uh, than we had seen from a single postseason loss previous. So, uh, yeah, I guess we wasted some breath with that. Uh, you mentioned Dubas and Pittsburgh. Do you have confidence that Dubas can salvage the remaining Sidney Crosby seasons? Do you think he's that guy? Um, here's my thing. I just think that, I don't know, it's so hard to go against Sidney Crosby. You know how it is with, with talking about him and how great he is and and, and Gino Malkin and, and Chris Letang. Like, I, I feel as if, if you're, you're going to have to be creative in terms of putting those pieces around him. I, I think he has a good shot at making it work if he's put in that position. But I just think there are so many other good teams around the league that would find a way to stamp them out. And again, I don't like going against that core. I don't like going against those players, even if they're at the age and stage that they're at. But I don't know. I, I feel as if, if while Kyle Dubas is there, I think he, in terms of a retool or whatever he would have to do to make it work, and that goes for really any GM that's put in that position, I don't know if they're getting like one really good run out of it, unless they make some incredible trade for like Connor Hellebuck or some other goaltender that can elevate them. So would Ottawa maybe be more of an attractive place to go sink your teeth in, have a younger core with uh, an upwards trajectory, maybe new ownership management, new arena? You think that's more of an attracting uh, opportunity if it arises for um, our guy, Kyle One Dubas? One million percent. Yes. You get yourself in a situation where you attack like, all those reasons you mentioned. On top of the fact that that supposedly is boyhood deep, like mm-hmm. you get to take charge of that. Whoever the new owners are going to be, different get different ball game in terms of resources, uh, all those other great additions that you mentioned as well, Ailish. Like, I, I think it just makes so much more sense to kind of hold out for that opportunity. I think you might get a little bit more leash in that role compared to 
a Pittsburgh team that's kind of married itself to trying to compete for the foreseeable future. I mean, Ottawa should be in that in that reign where they're trying to make the playoffs and be a contender, but it feels like you're more at the beginning of that run as opposed to Pittsburgh where you're really trying to get like one more good run out of this group. All right, so with Kyle Dubas out the door, we have an opening, and there are candidates just coming through revolving Scotiabank Arena doors, including Brad Trey Living, who is here in the city somewhere. Maybe is he li- still here? He might be listening. Um, you know, covering the flames, that he's on his way out, and uh, I don't know if we've got the full story, uh, why he did leave uh, the flames when he did, and maybe some of just like the inside of... The guy, the guy that is Brad. Yeah, maybe we should start with why he left the Flames because yes. I think it might help tell the story of like why he ended up here and why he might be the right guy for Toronto. So what happened? Why the breakup between Trey Living and the Flames? As best as we could explain it, um, this is a guy who was in, who was in, who was entering the last season on the final year of his deal. Daryl Sutter gets extended. All these other players get extended, mm-hmm. but he doesn't get extended. And it's been said that there were negotiations at different parts of the year before they were shut down. And at different points, we tried to ask him, hey, are you looking to come back? I even asked him straight up, like, do you want to come back? And it was just something he said he would deal with at a certain point. And then the the morning of the final game of the regular season, he steps into Don Maloney's office, the uh, president of hockey operations. Well, he's now been promoted to that. And he says, you know what, man? I'm I'm going to walk away when the season's over. I know the Flames tried to make it as if it was a mutual parting of the ways, and John Bean stepped up and said, hey, you know what, we're still going to be friends. But this, to me, sounds like negotiations weren't all that great. But also, we can't help but feel that the Daryl Sutter thing played a role mm. to this as well. I don't know if you guys saw the, the Craig Conroy press conference uh, from a couple of days ago. Uh, he was asked about what he would want in a, in a, in a new head coach, and we weren't even tr- necessarily trying to go there, but he mentions the fact that he wants someone who he's not at odds with. I mean, mm. if you read between the lines, that's that's a clap back at a, at a previous regime where I don't think everything was necessarily on the same page between those two. I don't know if I'd go so far as to say it was a full-on raging war every day between those two guys, but I think it was very clear to a lot of people that Daryl Sutter and Bradshaw Living were not on the same page, especially I think with younger players uh, in, in in the Flames lineup. And I, and I think that played a role in it. I think whatever, however negotiations went between him and Murray Edwards also played a role. I, I, I think it's a combination of those two aspects. So we look at Brad Trey Living, and he's a, a high-up candidate here, maybe the front runner uh, for the Toronto Maple Leafs. What are some of his redeeming qualities? Um, I know as a person, people say he's well-respected and he's a nice guy, but in terms of what he's done in the roles previously, like what could the Maple Leafs be looking at in terms of someone at the helm? Yeah, definitely well-respected in terms of his his people skills. I, I know in terms of him dealing with the media, he was always uh, – he made himself pretty accessible. And, uh, you know, he'd go out of his way to, you know, do some pretty nice things for some people in the Calgary media. So uh, I, I think he's earned a lot of respect from people in the market that I'm in right now. In terms of in terms of some of the moves that he's made, I think sometimes he'll try to make a smaller move and, and try to see if he can get more out of a player at, at the deadline this year. Uh, one real significant move he really made just trying to get Troy Stetcher, which kind of worked, but just ultimately a lot of bad luck kind of surrounded the team, and it didn't really end up working out maybe more than he probably would have liked, but also the salary cap plays a role in that too. 
it seems kind of sucky that his his era might end up being defined by that Kachuk trade, mm-hmm. just considering how well he's been playing for Florida and how much <laughs> of a superstar he's becoming in front of our eyes. And and, and Jonathan Huberto and Mackenzie Weger, while I think he did well in terms of getting assets for, for Matthew Kachuk, just that first season for those guys, I think Weger kind of turned around halfway through the year, but the confidence was just being seeped from Jonathan Huberto, who was a 115-point player the year before. His confidence was being seeped from him every day uh, with 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 Daryl Sutter, and it's a bit of an unfortunate situation. We'll have to see how it goes for him in terms of rebounding, but it feels like with with Brad Treliving, even though he's a good people guy, uh, you know, he tried to make some some harmless moves here and there. Uh, the the few moves that will ultimately, I think, kind of define his legacy, uh, not signing Matthew Gachuk to a long-term deal when he had the chance, uh, letting Johnny Gaudreau go uh, for nobody, essentially, uh, just none, a bad example of asset management, uh, and this Gachuk-Huberto trade. And it's kind of wild. Those three things kind of happen fairly recently, essentially. Yes, he's had some good drafts, and, and I think that's part of his resume, and and yes, they got at least two playoff series wins out of it. But I, I think a lot of people will look at his 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 legacy. They'll look at those moves. Uh, maybe the Bill Peters thing will will come into this as well. The Daryl Sutter hiring as well. Uh, I, I I still think he's a good general manager. I still think he's able to the experience he was able to learn on the job in those nine years. I think will still serve an NHL team down the road. And if the Toronto Maple Leafs want to take a guy like him, I think. It'll be really interesting to see him in an environment where uh, with MLSE where he'll seemingly have more resources available to him. And depending on who he works under, he might not have to worry about a guy who will will kind of will be adverse to, to playing younger players. But I, I think right now for Brad Trilliving, there are a few things that have happened in his era as a Calgary Flames general manager that I'm sure in another job he would love to kind of distance himself from. Uh, not saying he would completely regret everything that he's done, but I think just in terms of how people have kind of egged on saying, oh, he made that move. Mm-hmm. That sucks. I mean, even after yesterday's game for the Panthers, I think Leafs fans were taking it worse. It was like, <laughs> oh, man, we're going to end up with a guy who traded away Matthew Kachuk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I think about Brad Living, I, I can't really avoid that. Like the moves you outlined, Kachuk, those exist as cautionary tales. The Maple Leafs don't necessarily have to move someone from their core four, but it might at this point behoove them to do that. And there's questions of whether or not Brad Living is the right guy to actually be in charge of those moves because one and a couple decisions have recently backfired for him but you know beyond like again and you look at him like okay you did pretty good you're in a pretty bad situation with Kudrow wanting to leave and Kachuk wanting to leave simultaneously that's something that most GMs and teams can't recover from but I wonder about like the other motivations and the other reasons why that deal was made like did Brad Treliving have full autonomy to do whatever he wanted? Was that solely his idea to bring in Jonathan Huberdeau, who was oil to Daryl Sutter's water at that time? Like, when I look at it, it's like, yeah, there are mistakes there. But if you're being told, hey, we can't take a step back or you're done here, I understand why a desperate GM would make a move like that. So did he have full autonomy, full reign? That's something that he might have to worry about if he was the GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs, given what Brendan Shanahan's been up to recently. Um, but like what went into that decision that you know of and how much of that, how much of his like capacity as a GM was laid out for us with that move? I think he had as much of time as he could have. I, I, I don't know if I, I, I don't necessarily think that like 
Murray Edwards or John Bean were coming from the top rope saying, like, you have to absolutely uh, turn this team into a contender or, or rebuild us off the table. Well, in all fit, well, which I mean, I think previously we would have thought that until, funny enough, until the Tree Living Exit Conference where John Bean, the uh, the uh, Calgary Sports Entertainment uh, Corporation president, said that a rebuild was on the table when Matthew Kachuk uh, mm. made it known That's that he was not. Yeah, that was something that was kind of, it's kind of weird. I, like, I don't know if you guys saw that press conference, but like about a minute before, uh, I forget what specifically what question was asked to John Bean, but he had said something along the lines of, oh, I can't say the word rebuild around you guys. And mm. I think some people might have been frustrated at that. And then the next minute he then says, yeah, uh, a rebuild was on the table <laughs> when Matthew said he wanted to up and leave. It was the most confusing thing uh, among a myriad of confusing things that were said at that press conference, but I digress. So all that to say, if if it genuinely was on the table, I think Brad Treliving, I don't necessarily know if he was particularly swayed to not press the R button, but it seems like he definitely had an option to do so. And I don't know if it would have been the right move to do. I, I still think like, I think a lot of people in that situation might have done the same thing. It's just... Man, like signing a guy like Huberto to, who, to a contract that's going to pay him ten and a half million until twenty thirty one, jeez, like it's 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 pretty tough. But considering the draft class that this year is, like, I, I get why you push the R button in that situation. You put yourself in a spot where you can get yourself Connor Bedard, but the Calgary Flames are nowhere near that situation. So all that to say, I think I think Brad Treliving in that particular situation, I, he in terms of when I talked to him about that trade, seems like he was. Like I think he wanted to make something of it, and he just looked at all the different opportunities that were there, and I think he just saw an opportunity for himself to compete. And again, I don't necessarily fault him for it. I know it was a risk in terms of getting older players and and and, and the type of players in Huberto and, and, and Weaker who might not have had uh, an amazing amount of playoff success, but... I don't know. Like, it's a, it's such a difficult situation considering what the Flames were 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 in the year prior with with that loss to, to Edmonton and thinking they could extend that window and trying to make the most of it. Yeah, and that's fair. But if we are dealing in truths, uh, the Huberto contract's one of the worst in hockey, and for living, yeah, who's who's uh, you know interviewing, we believe for the Toronto Maple Leafs general manager's uh, position, just signed it, and uh, that's something that's just. Facts, and uh, it's something that the Leafs are going to have to chew on, and the fan base, uh, if we move forward uh, with Treleving as a legit candidate. Uh, new general manager in Calgary, Craig Conroy. What's Connie, Connie, going to bring Connie. to the organization? Connie, yeah, at the the Flames are embracing uh, the Connie era. They've, they've put up social media posts saying that they're in that era and they're embracing him, a player who, a guy who spent parts of nine seasons as a player in the organization before becoming an assistant to to Jay Feaster, before becoming an assistant GM to Brad Treliving, a guy who uh, has has gone out to look at players, prospective players for the organization, and has gotten them signed. You can look at guys even like Johnny Gaudreau. He was on the plane when uh, it came time for him to sign him out of Boston College. It, it would take for other guys like a Walker Dewar a little later on in their careers, or Matthew Phillips, who has been scoring like crazy in the AHL, but just hasn't been able to find an NHL opportunity. Um, Matthew Coronado, who they just signed out of uh, Harvard. There are so many other players in this organization. Uh, Garnet Hathaway years ago. Other other kind of 
undrafted, less heralded guys who have found opportunities to make it work in the lineup. I think that's ultimately his, his that was his big calling card as a decision maker in terms of helping to find some of those guys. But also just we talk about Brad being a, a person. I think Craig is a little bit more extroverted in that sense. Really nice guy, really approachable guy. I think uh, people in the media in terms of trying to talk to him, I think will like him in that aspect. Uh, in terms of what he will bring as a general manager, uh, it, it's it's time to see what all that experience has has worked its way up to. This is a guy, again, who's been in that organization for so long and says he's touched so many aspects of it leading up to this point. And the fact that he says that he wants to see younger players in the lineup, a lot of people see that as a breath of fresh air. It, it certainly will help them considering that they don't have a lot of salary cap room to play with and they need an infusion of youth to kind of make up some of those bottom six roles, some cheap contracts. I think that will play a role in that. Uh, he wants to see offense. He wants to see some structure on the defensive end, but he wants to see a team that unlocks uh, whatever offensive gifts and abilities that they're able to to kind of put out there. And again, I, I kind of mentioned this earlier, but he wants to work with a head coach who will be more of a team player, who will make it more of a harmonious situation as opposed to, management being a separate thing and the head coach is kind of just on an island so to speak and i i think in terms of some of the things that he said i think a lot of flames fans are are happy about it i think there's still a faction of fans who are still kind of jaded and and still feel you know uh, they would love to have seen a rebuild as as what john being kind of dangled above them in that press conference uh but i think there are a few fans who seem excited at the prospect of of, of Craig Conroy becoming GM as opposed to some of the other names that were floated around for the GM search, like a Dave Nonis. I know he's in the organization now, but there was talk about him joining his GM. There was talk of Stan Bowman. There was talk of Mark Bergevay or Mark Hunter as well. And in terms of a progressive thinker, as uh, Don Maloney wanted for the team, I don't think those those names I mentioned would have necessarily fit that bill. That bill, I should say. Uh, Craig Conroy seemed a lot closer to that. We're talking to Julian McKenzie, Flames reporter at The Athletic. So you lay out all these things that Conroy wants, Connie, but uh, who is going to be the one that deploys it on the bench? Who do you think would be the next head coach for the uh, Calgary Flames? With every passing day, I wonder about uh, their AHL coach, Mitch Love. Uh, This is the reigning coach of the year in the AHL two years running. Uh, He just coached the best regular season team. I know they kind of fell short in the playoffs, but he has he got them to almost pretty close to the Calder Cup last year, uh, maybe one round less short this year. But he's a good coach. He's a good mm-hmm. motivator. Uh, people regard him as a hard ass. But if you've been to some of his practices, uh, the energy is very different from from being around the the Flames. And I think winning has a lot to do with it. But you're seeing a lot of those younger players just kind of be themselves, kind of be loose. You see guys kind of hugging each other as well. It's a very different atmosphere. And when I think of Craig Conroy saying that he wants to he wants it to be more fun for players. I wonder if the way Mitch Love is handling himself in the AHL, uh, if that's going to play to his advantage. I also think the fact that there's a possibility that other franchises have taken notice of him, and I'm waiting to see if one really takes it seriously and and really presses on for his interest. If that kind of forces their hand, because they have other guys like Ryan Huska. Uh, who's been an assistant for a couple of years with the franchise and uh, is really smart and has coached the defense and the penalty kill. I think he deserves a chance at this. Uh, Kirk Muller is the most seasoned vet of anyone on that bench. Does he get looked at? I don't know if he's necessarily the ideal fit, but 
I, I think the Flames will probably give him a look. I wouldn't be surprised about that. And then you have the external options. Andrew Brunette uh, coached that Florida Panthers season uh, that led to a President's Trophy and Jonathan Huberto being as successful as he was. Gerard Gallant, I, I don't know about him as an X's and O's guy, but he is supposedly a player's coach, or at least he had that reputation at one point. And he also had a repu- he also had a, he has a relationship with one Jonathan Huberto dating back to the QMJHL. Uh, Alex Tangay uh, has also been thrown out there. Has that Calgary connection, having played with Craig Conroy and uh, coaches the power play in in Detroit, and has an offensive mind. And I think that's it wouldn't surprise me if that's where the Flames were leaning towards in terms of just finding a coach who is able to work more offensively and again just kind of extract some of those gifts that uh, could be laying underneath the surface with some of his guys. So I, I, whoever they end up getting, uh, I think if it's not going to be Ryan Huska, whoever they get in from the outside, it has to be someone with uh, a, a track mind that leans more towards the offense than defense. Uh, last one for for you, Julian. We have one conference champion. This, the Florida Panthers advanced to the Stanley Cup final last night. Uh, but there are questions of whether or not they're like truly, truly elite, at least in my eyes. So do you consider the Panthers an elite team or is this a good team on an incredible run? I think it's okay to say that they're a good team on an incredible run. I mean, they beat some... They beat an elite team in the Boston Bruins to get there. They beat a very good team in the Toronto Maple Leafs to get there. And they beat what I thought was an elite team in the Carolina Hurricanes uh, yesterday. Four one-goal games uh, throughout that series. I mean, I can understand why Brock Brindamore feels away, even though he did get swept. Like, geez, but it sucks for him. But I don't know. I, I think for, for for Florida, they're they're riding a really good run right now. And we've seen it so many times where, where teams kind of come out of nowhere and they end up putting themselves in a situation uh, where they go on a deep run or they make the final. I think this is like the third time since 2017 that like the lowest seed has advanced to the Stanley Cup final. Like Nashville did it. Uh, the Canadians did it in 2021. And now you have the Florida Panthers. Like it's it's a it's a, I think this is a really good. This is a team that was kind of mid throughout most of the year. And then Keith Kachuk makes that one call to a radio station <laughs> and says that his team is soft. And all of a sudden they wake up and Sergei Bobrovsky is on this revenge tour and a half because we all labeled him watch. Like we've seen plays this year where Sergei Bobrovsky was not his absolute best for whatever reason. And he's now fought his way back to get to this point. Uh, Matthew Kachuk, I think was having a really good year, uh, but he's really turned it on during this postseason. and other pieces as well. You can look at as well have stepped up at the right time. I think they're a very good team that has caught fire. I wonder how it will look for them against Vegas, most likely in the Stanley cup final. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think, but then again, at the same time, they won the president's trophy last year, mm-hmm. but also they made a big trade, uh, and, and a big coaching change too. a lot of people point at the trade. A lot of people don't point enough at Paul Maurice, uh, who also stands to see his reputation changed after everything that happened in Winnipeg and, and how this season has unfolded for him. I, I still think they're a very good team. That's catching fire at the right time. Uh, even though they did win the President's Trophy last year. But uh, there's nothing wrong with being a very good team that catches fire at the right time. Yeah, we can recount the uh, Jack Adams votes. Keith Kachuk can share it with Paul Maurice. I think that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, Julian McKenzie, so, yeah. uh, Flames reporter at The Athletic. Uh, let me know when you're next in Toronto next because I still owe you uh, six margaritas. 
Six? Oh, oh yeah. Six those, margaritas. Those things. Well, if you yeah, need a partner, I'll you... have a couple. Yeah, we can share them with Ailish. Mm. How about this? Can we can we alter the bet from that particular brand of margaritas to any other type of margaritas? Yeah, okay? we're definitely not going to talk uh, about that I type love of a margarita. Marg. Any margarita. Oh, How about any that? Marg. We all agree on any margarita? Yes. I'm down with any margarita, and I will let you all know when I'm back in town next. <laughs> all right, buddy. Thanks for coming on this morning. Thanks. Peace. That's Julie McKenzie, Flames reporter at The Athletic. I don't know the criteria of this bet, but I'm piggybacking it, and I will drink the margaritas with our buddy. I forget what it was. We were doing content in another place. I think, actually, it was to pick playoff teams winners from last year. So did he pick six, right? So or was in the, the same way that I lose bets to you, uh, I, you lose, everyone, I lost eh? bets to Julian McKenzie. It just yeah. must be part of your persona. It's part of my brand. It's who you are, Justin. And I'm really scared now that I'm going to lose bets on Matthew Kachuk winning the Smythe Trophy. He's yeah, my one liability. Too good now. And I watch him score a third winner and I'm like, oh my God. I mean, Bob, Bobrovsky's been the guy. But mm-hmm. like the narrative thing, we started talking about Matthew mm-hmm. Kachuk this morning before we started talking mm-hmm. about Sergei Bobrovsky. It's hard There's not power to. and narrative. I mean, three game winners and didn't he assist the other one? Like he's been dead. It's like it's his, it's his series. He was real quiet. Bobrovsky. He was real quiet against the Leafs though. He was saving it. For when it was. mattered even more. Recency bias, he was saving it for that. Okay, well, we're talking bets, so send your bets in um, for today's Wake and Rake at 590-590. We do have another guest on the other side of the break, so we will have a baby Wake and Rake. I think we went two for three yesterday, so we'll pick a, we'll pick a better winner. Don't look today. at me like I'm... <laughs> don't look at me like that. No, no you're good, man. No, um, we have uh, Denard Spann joining us on the other side of the break, um, former Moby outfielder. He's a current Rays special assistant and Rays TV analyst, so we'll do a little bit more Rays talk. Um, Blue Jays looking to split their series today against the Rays. Uh, 1 p.m. first pitch, getaway game. we got Alec Manoa on the mound. Um, Justin's been laying out how cheap this Rays roster is and yet how powerful and dominant and... Uh, Dynamic. Dynamic. Thesaurus.com. And just flat out better than the Blue Jays. How'd out. they do it? Um, we'll get uh, some insight from a cur- current race specialist analyst, Denard Span on the other side of the break on the Fan Morning Show with Justin and Ailish. Covering the Blue Jays from an analytical perspective. Jays Talk Plus with Blake Murphy. Be sure to subscribe and download Jays Talk on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on the fan morning show, Sports Night 590, the fan. I think this is the third Tina Turner. Am I right? This is Tina yes. Turner. I wasn't sure the first time. I wasn't sure the second time, but I'm we're running into a theme here. So rest in peace to Tina Turner. Uh, and I'm glad that we played Queen some songs today, even though I'm not familiar Queen with that. Queen of rock and roll. I had to admit it, though. Uh, let's get to our final guest of the day, Denard Spann, former MLB outfielder and Rays special assistant and TV analyst for Rays TV. Busy guy. Uh, yeah, busy guy. Good morning, Denard. <laughs> Good morning. How are you guys? Uh, we're okay. Uh, you know, we're kind of licking our wounds as a sports market of late. Uh, and, you know, the Tampa Bay Rays continue to pile on just a little bit. I was a little uh, a little tilted last night, we'll call it, when I saw a tweet come across my timeline that said, the entire Rays lineup last night cost $20 million only, and they lead 
the league in home runs and stolen bases. And it's, uh, you know, cost effective. That would be an understatement. So how, what is, what's the race secret? Just tell us so we could apply it to our, you know, our life and our baseball team. How do you cost that little and do so much? Well, you know, I can't tell you all of our secrets. Yeah, come on. You know, I can't do that, right? <laughs> um, you know what, man? It's just, I think, honestly, it's simple just from the standpoint of, you know, finding obviously the right talent, the right players. Um, from a character standpoint, an aptitude standpoint, and then uh, player development. Our player development is, is really solid. Um, and then, of course, you know, we, you know, we're not afraid to, you know, step outside the box and, and try new things. So, I just think collectively, you know, between picking the right right players and, um, you know, like I said, uh, you know, just being able to, you know, just be more exploratory and, and, and try new things, it just, it just is a recipe for uh, success. Okay, so if you're going to be exploratory during this season and approaching the trade deadline, I wonder, a $20 million lineup, and I get there's a couple guys that were sitting out, but if the Rays were get to get aggressive here, which maybe they should with uh, you know the lead that they've built here in the AL East and the prospects of winning a World Series, what kind of acquisition do you think takes this team over the top? Like, is there anything that the Rays are missing and could add to their lineup to make it even better than it is right now? And I guess you don't have to divulge every secret, but maybe there's more of a commentary yeah, yeah. on what your team is right now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, the offense has is, is definitely been better than what, you know, anybody could have anticipated. I think coming into the season, like, we knew we were going to have a, a good offense, but we, you know, we thought it would be more from a, you know, athletic standpoint, you know, being able to manufacture runs, you know, maybe scoring four runs a game. Um, but, you know, obviously the, the offense has, you know, overachieved a little bit um, or maybe a lot. <laughs> but um, – I, I think from an offensive standpoint, I think we, you know, I think we like where we are. I mean, could you add an extra bat? Uh, yeah, it wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt just in case somebody goes down. Um, but for me, I think the the biggest need for us is probably starting pitching. You know, we've lost we've lost uh, Jeffrey Springs and, and Drew Rasmussen. Um, more than likely, Drew Rasmussen out for an extended period of time. Not sure if he's going to be out for the whole season, um, but we probably could could use one more starter. I think if we were able to, you know, acquire somebody like that during the, during the, the deadline, I think we would we would be okay with that. You're talking about pitching. We have to go back two days to uh, some position players pitching because that was a, a little bit of a moment that we had to at least feel happy about the series so far. Uh, Luke Grayley, um being the guy that has to get on the mound and uh, fill in for a little bit of space there. How do you, how do you guys, I know you're not making the decision, but how, how do they choose <laughs> who gets out there and has to be a position player when you're down, you know, by uh, nine runs? I, honestly, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I really don't. I'm not, I'm not a part of that. Um, you know, I, I've just heard from like, you know, post-game interviews from Kevin Cash, just like, you know, going up to a certain player and asking them, like, maybe have they pitched in the past? Like, maybe it's high school or something like that. And then asking them, you know, if they feel comfortable doing it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't know. I don't know to what else extent do they go about choosing that, to be honest. So they got to be able to get it over the plate. But I think they also have to be, like, the right person mentally for it. Like, a guy who's going to be okay with giving up a bomb to uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who can laugh about it afterwards. And maybe Luke Rayleigh uh, is that guy. But, you know, we criticized it a little bit. Maybe more, more, critis- more critical of Major League Baseball for sort of putting teams in positions where they can do that. But what... 
the Rays do really, really well is strategize at a high level, whether it's in the front office or with Kevin Cash. And the fact that they went to those two position players to pitch, they saved their bullpen, which they didn't really need all that much with Shane McClanahan. But like you got, you give up 20 runs in one game and it does not affect you whatsoever the next. So everything that's done at a high level among the Rays is like strategy and what Kevin Cash is doing right up there as well. Yeah, it's calculated for sure. I think every move, I think every move that, you know, I, I think, you know, it's not just the Rays. I like to think it's all of MLB to this point. Like, you know, I played in the era where it was, you know, you, you played on a hunch, right? Like the manager would watch the game, who's hot. All right, I'm going to play my hot hand. I'm going to play that guy. But now it's like everything is, you know, a science. Everything is calculated from, you know, matchups and to, you know, what, what, uh, what swing what player swing, you know, profiles against this certain pitcher's movement, X, Y, Z. So, um, yeah, everything, you know, not just us, but I think just around the whole league is, is pretty much calculated. I know you've been talking a little bit about some of the, the faces on the team that uh, maybe are a little bit unsung um, for that. Brandon Lau, I, I think you've been uh, – I caught a little bit of the broadcast. I was doing my research here. You're high on him so far this season. What is it that you like about some of the power that he's been able to bring to that lineup? Brandon or Josh? Which one? Because we got two Lows or Lows. Oh. You're talking Brand. I think I'm, it Josh Lowe, I'm, thinking, it, it, I'm it talking Josh. Josh. Yeah, you have too many of those Josh, guys. <laughs> that's what I figured, yeah, he, Josh yes. is having a, a breakout season this year. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, you, I, you know what? I, I feel like every ball club needs at least one guy every mm-hmm. single year to step up that was not expected to, you know what I'm saying, that overachieves, right? Yeah. Whether it's from the pitching side or, or a position player side. And, uh, you know, Josh is a highly touted uh, prospect, came up through our minor league system. We drafted him out of high school um, last year. You know, he made the team out of spring training. I think it was a little overwhelming for him as he, you know, he stumbled and had to go back to AAA a couple times. And, you know, it's tough as a young player, you know, coming up to the big leagues for the first time and not knowing what to expect, yet alone, you know, being the guy for, for opening day. As opposed to, you know, when you come up midseason, when you are, you've already kind of, you know, gotten into a groove, but, you know, he was basically handed the keys to the job um, from day one, stumbled, uh, went home during off season. I think he had a, a, a soul check, you know, regrouped mentally, physically uh, reworked his swing. And um, we're seeing, you know, what everybody in the organization hoped that he would be doing. And, uh, you know, he has the potential to, to be a 30, 30 guy, you know, mm-hmm. a combination of power and speed, I think, what, 11 home runs with, like, what, 9 or 10 stolen bases already. Um, so, yeah, he, he's been a pleasant surprise to start the season. Yeah, a good story and something for the guys to rally around, I'm sure, and the Blue Jays are looking for that as well. Here we got some young pups coming up the lineup, but uh, nothing that maybe we're putting as much stock on as of yet. Uh, you have seen the Blue Jays now three games in a row. You're going to get them at 1 o'clock today as well. Um Obviously, the Rays have had a pretty hot start to the season, so they are way up in the standings. Blue Jays are, what, ten and a half games back, nine and a half games back. Uh, do they feel like they're that far away when you see them up close and personal? No. Uh, that's a good ball club. You know, I look at, look at uh, you, you, you guys' lineup. Um, you obviously got our, our old friend Kiermaier, but you got Vladdy Jr., um, uh, Dante Bichette. Um, Chapman, I mean, you know, this, you guys and the Yankees, like you guys have got, you know, thick lineups and um, it's just a matter of time, you know, before you guys get it going. And, and you guys even got, you know, good starting pitching as well. And so, um, yeah, I, I think the tone, you know, w- within our you know clubhouse and, you know, organization is like, 
yeah, we're playing good now, but, you know, you know every team goes on a run and goes on a streak. And, you know, you guys, the Yankees, I mean, everybody in the whole division really um, has the capability to, you know, rattle off 10, 12 victories in a row and get hot. So, you know, you can't, you know, let your guard down. You can't be complacent um, because there's just too much talent within this division. Uh, you, you mentioned, you know, the strategy and everyone in baseball doing it. And that is true. I think you're being a little bit, a little bit modest when, you know, lumping in everyone Maybe. because Maybe. The, the Rays do things Maybe at a high right. level. But, <laughs> and I think, I, yeah. I wonder if you yeah. actually experienced that yourself because you joined the Tampa Bay Rays late in your career. I, and you were already 10 years, a decade into your career as a major league baseball player. But I wonder if you came yeah. in and you learned something about baseball when you joined the Rays for the first yeah. time. Most definitely. Um, the, the year before I got to Tampa, I was in San Francisco playing center field. Probably, I probably should not have been playing center field. I was 34 years old, um, probably had the worst you know, zone rating user yard in, in all of baseball that year. And I had no idea why. Nobody was telling me why you know, I stunk so bad out there. And so I came over to Tampa the next year, the following year, and, you know, I sat down. Rocco Baldelli was, was on the staff at that time. And, and, of course, Eric Nander was the GM. But, you know, they basically sat me down and showed me physically on video what I was doing, but then also explained to me, you know, from an analytical standpoint, like, you know, broke down why, you know, I was not getting graded good from a defensive standpoint. It was all about my first step. And, and you know, just basically broke down to me, like, this is how, you know, everybody's getting graded. And, and XYZ, and I just thought it was just so informative uh, for me as a player to know, all right, this is what, you know, I'm not good at, so I can at least, you know, on a daily basis work on that, you know what I mean, and try to improve my first step, and um, I did. You know, my two months here, it was, you know, probably mo- one of the most fun times for me, and I think, you know, I think we just do a good job at, you know, finding people's sweet spot and people's talents and, you know, trying to maximize them. Uh, it'll be Alec Manoa and Zach Eflin today in the final game of four-game set between the Rays and the Blue Jays. Uh, feel free to use your influence and let everyone know go easy on the Jays. You know, they kind of <laughs> really, really, really need a victory tonight in the competitive or this afternoon in the highly competitive American League East. Uh, we appreciate you coming on this morning, Denard. This was fun. No problem. Anytime, guys. That's Denard Spann, uh, former Rays outfielder, as mentioned, and now working for the Rays as a special assistant. And as an analyst. Quite humble about the uh, ability to do a lot with a little. He was not... uh, Well, he doesn't want to share too many secrets. But that that is interesting, though. Like, you're you're deep in your career, Mm -hmm. and you're without information that you cannot attain yourself or that an organization, a good one, can't give you either. You show up with the Rays, and they're like, hey, here's where it's at. And that feels like the truth, don't it? Yes, it does. Um, all right, so Manoa and Eflin, as you mentioned, 1 p.m. start. That's on Sportsnet, Sportsnet 590, the fan, and streaming on sportsnet.ca slash 590 and the Sportsnet app, wrapping up the four-game series today. Um, we'll do a wake and rake, and maybe your pick comes from that. Now it's time for wake and rake. You could be raking in the dough with your kind of accuracy. Show me the money. With Ailish and Justin, we also have two opportunities to clinch series tonight in both the NBA and the NHL. You've we got do. the Vegas Golden Knights looking to to get a sweep tonight in Dallas. That arena is going to be ugh, scary because they just got embarrassed and they had to make an apology online. Did you see that? The Stars uh, mm-hmm. account, and we are sorry for our behavior. 
And they're going to be without Jamie, Jamie Benn. Ben, yeah. He has been penalized for two game suspension for his falling on Mark Stone. Mm-hmm. The uh, I don't know if we have that audio. It's pretty funny. I'm, it's uh, basically he says that he wishes he hadn't fallen on to Mark Stone with his stick in his neck. I saw a guy break a fall with a cross check to someone's face. Yeah. Yeah. Just unfortunately, his body happened to be right there and his neck. (laughs) (laughs) Nonetheless, he will not be playing tonight. So you have uh, Vegas Golden Knights with opportunity to sweep and have two sweeps in the conference finals. And then you also have the Miami Heat and the Celtics and the Heat are getting no respect. They are dogs tonight. Both teams that are up 3-1 are dogs tonight. Vegas, uh, very narrow, very narrow Mm -hmm. underdog tonight. But yeah, the Heat... Are getting seven and a half points. That's crazy to me. Tonight in Boston. Now they're they're doing it. Think they're I, winning or they're covering? Both. How about this? One and a half series is the over under extended tonight. Under. Oh well. Ooh. I, I think they both I get think it done. Under's the safe bet. Yeah. I mean they're 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 pretty narrow. Well, not narrow. The Miami Heat are pretty sizable dogs tonight, but like I think either one of the Heat or Golden Knights yeah, are winning. I think so. I can see both of them winning. I, I hope to do. I want to see the Heat do it in uh, Boston as well, just for added intrigue. For our guy, Brandon Tobin. For Tobin. Great uh, guy. I've uh, I've been so wrong about the conference finals, and I think my faith in the competition is what's led me astray. Like, mm-hmm. I've just expected these teams to actually engage in a series rather than just a one-sided beatdown, but I'm going to abandon that strategy. For my wake and rake pick... I'm going to take the Vegas Golden Knights plus 100 to finish things off. We mentioned Jamie Benn. We we mentioned a little earlier Jake Ottinger's struggle has been pulled four times in these playoffs yeah, already. he's been brutal. Through two and a half series. He's been either really good or really bad. And I, I don't even really think it matters. Like, he could be good and Vegas can still win. I think they're feeling sorry for themselves a little bit. Yeah. I think Jamie Benn maybe gave you a little window into what's going on there with him. Max Domi was freaking out after. Jake Ottinger can't match the level of even Aiden Hill at this point. I just feel like the self-destruction is on, and it's really, really hard to get motivated, even on home ice, self-destruction with the fans as well. I think it's going to get. I think it's difficult for them to get motivated for this game. I, I, I'm expecting a less than 100% effort from Dallas. And for that reason, I'm going to take Vegas to to set the Stanley Cup final Just money tonight. Line. Okay, money line, yeah, plus um, 100. Over under zero and a half things thrown on the ice today. Over. Yep, I think that's. I the think right they'll call. be. I think they'll be better behaved, but there's always one guy. Something's happening tonight. Yeah. I have a weird feeling about it. Okay. Even even in celebration, there could be multiple that's true. guys um, or a hat trick. Okay, so. You're going to go Vegas Golden Knights and money line. I'm going to go over eight and a half runs in the Orioles and the Yankees. Um, Gibson and Schmidt on the mound. They both have over, well, Gibson's got a 427 ERA and Schmidt has a six ERA. Um, both teams are battling out in the AL East here. And I believe yesterday's score was also quite high. Yes, 9-6 for the Orioles. They both have some offensive Power, so I'm seeing that one being over eight and a half. The sprinklers will be fully loaded. Yes, they will be um, over eight and a half in Orioles and Yankees. You've got Vegas Golden Knights money line. Let's go through some picks. We have uh, Ron and Jules. Uh, I will take the Miami Heat plus eight and a half, and Jules will take Bobichet over bases, which has hit for her the last two games. Okay, Ian, the snowplow driver, really liking Pearson 
taking Garcia's job unofficially, just a little commentary. But he likes Tatum in an elimination mm-hmm. game, over 29 and a half points. He's hit that four to the last five. Uh, when he did it, hit didn't hit it. Rather, he was a complete nightmare. But when he plays well, <laughs> when he's not a nightmare, he usually clears that. So that's decent pick. Like Jay Gondor. Um, Good morning, Corey from Port here. Port Hope here for my wake and rake tick pick. Wow, I'll take over to the double HF quarterfinal matchups. USA to beat the Czech Republic in regulation at minus one twenty. USA has been the best team, and Czechia hasn't looked very good this tournament. Interesting. That's a short number for the United States. Uh, morning, guys. Welcome back, Ailish. Yes, welcome back, Ailish. My three-ball pick for the Colonial today. We kind of forgot about that. Oh, yeah. Has it started? The cl- at Colonial. Is it Colonial? It's Chuck Schwab. It's Chuck, Chuck Schwab. Schwab is what we call it. Max Homa over Zach Johnson and Kevin Kisner. That does seem like a reasonably good matchup for Max Homa. It's pretty simple. Homa's a good player and Kisner and Johnson are not. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there, Jared from Halifax. Um, I just pulled up the leaderboard. There's only been like four people that have teed off. Matthias, Matthias Schwab. Schwab's leading the Who Schwab. Who is this guy? Yep. He's on the third hole and he's one under. <laughs> Schwab is winning the Schwab. Why didn't we bet this guy? Let's, what's the live, Never li- heard of live odds right now on, on Schwab, Schwab winning the Schwab? Schwabby. Uh, last one here. Schwabby. <laughs> Take the points. Jimmy Buckets takes it home. Sweet Alabama. Miami wins. That's Will from Niagara. I can't find Schwab. He's Schwabby. so far down. Schwab's not winning the Schwab. Uh, anything stand out for you among the anchors? Um, well, Bo over has hit uh, frequently for Jules. Um, there's a little love for the Heat. Heat and the points. Um, Jimmy Buckets takes it home. I'm feeling Homa or the Heat. Let's go with the Heat. We just had our buddy for Tobin. Tobin on. For Tobin. What, heat and the points? Yeah. Hey, heat plus seven and a half. Let's do it. Um, over eight and a half in the Orioles and the Yankees game tonight. Vegas Golden Knights to close out their series in the heat to at least cover the spread, maybe close out the series. That's plus seven and a half. That is plus 572 for your waking rate today. I like that one. A little plus Me money. Too. Uh, Bumps it up. Check out the Schwab. <laughs> Our buddy. <laughs> how, long, how long do you think this Schwab is going to lead the Schwab? Not very long. Within under an hour, he'll be out of top spot there? Not very long. Uh, just a reminder, Blue Jays, 1 o'clock, first pitch, Manoa and Eflin on the mound looking to split the series before they head to Minnesota for three games set against the Twins starting on Friday night. So a little getaway game. You have a little afternoon viewing experience before you get two opportunities to see some series close out tonight. Have a happy baby Friday. We'll see you tomorrow. We sure will.